You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 29. Okay, with me today we have a very special host. This is Rob Kramer. Hi there. Rob, welcome to your Tables on Fire. I'm glad to be here. Now, for those who are listening carefully, I said host and not guest, and that wasn't by mistake, because Rob is actually here to interview me. That is right, 100%. (laughs) So see how that goes. Yeah, I hope I do 50% as well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to aim for 50%. You know, at the end of the show, everyone's be like, can we just have Rob do this show from now on? <laughs> if I had the time, I would. I'd take, <laughs> I'd take it right underneath your, your hand. So I'm happy to be here. Perfect. Good, so, good. Do you mind if I take over hosting? Well, please do, because I, I want to answer questions for once in my life. Perfect. Not, not dig them out, so... Good, because I brought a chair. This is my interview chair to for you to sit in, get comfy. Okay, okay well, this is nice. This is, yeah. this is good. I, I made it myself. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I want to get into game discussion. Yes. And, and specifically, you as a game designer. So yes. where where did you come from? I know that we haven't talked about word domination and, and how well it's doing on Kickstarter right now, but... Well, we don't how, need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did this all happen? How did you first get into game design? Well, so I've been uh, interested in tabletop gaming since I was very young. It all started when I was probably four or five years old. And every year, my extended family, we got together. We had a big family reunion. And a big part of that was a game tournament. My grandma loved Card games, usually trick-taking card games. Shushu-shushu uh, was her game. I don't know if that's even really a game. It sounds like yeah, something she have, made up. I have never heard of that. That's yeah, I, th- I think she made it up. Just that was the one thing she could win. So that was her game. Got it. But my uncles, who I kind of idolized, their game was Monopoly. Mm. And, you know, because that's what you know. This was early '80s, and that's what you had, right? Right. And so, you know, every year we get together and I'd watch them play Monopoly and, oh, that looks like a lot of fun. And so finally, when I was a, a little bit older, maybe like eight, they, they said, okay, Jeff, we'll let you play. And, oh, boy, that was just a treat, something I've been waiting for my entire life. And so I get in there and not only do I play, but I end up winning the game. And I, I even get the little trophy that everyone gets at the end of, you know, for a year, you get a, you have this trophy. Oh, that's and amazing. It, and it was, I don't know if you remember, you've played Monopoly, I assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So there's there's all the different little metal pieces that are your pawns, mm-hmm. and okay, the coolest one by far was the race car, right? That was uh, the best. You know, duh. everyone wanted that, right? But the second coolest was was the guy on horseback. Okay. And yeah. the trophy was actually that guy, but in much bigger form. You know, maybe six inches tall or so. And so so I got that trophy of the guy on horseback that I put on my mantle for a year, and that was that was the proudest moment maybe of my entire life. I don't know. <laughs> That is your crowning achievement. You peaked at eight years old. <laughs> it's all downhill after that. Yes. <laughs> That's got to feel big when you're eight years old and you beat your uncles in a game, for sure. It, exactly. You know, and, of course, in retrospect, I realize it was 
95% luck, but that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there, right? So, <laughs> looking looking back on it, were they playing with the correct rules, or did they? Oh no, not, not even. Oh no, we were, we were playing with kind of the typical American house rules. You know, that free parking gave you lots of money. Yeah, and we we played with a a rule. I don't know if this is universal or not, but you couldn't buy anything your first time around on the board. And so that way, just, you know, whoever went first didn't just start gobbling up everything. It was a little bit of a race around the board once to then start buying stuff. Huh, okay. I could see that maybe, but yeah, <laughs> through the years I've realized that kind of stuck, Monopoly is the way to go if you even play Monopoly. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. So what led you beyond Monopoly? You started there, what led you past it? Right, so... So fast forward a few years, I was probably, oh, maybe maybe junior high, maybe early high school, and I had a f- neighbor by the name of Dan Ludlow, and Dan's parents loved him much more than my parents because they bought him every Fantasy Flight game that existed. <laughs> you know, Fantasy Flight and Avalon Hill, those were the brands oh, you know, yeah. at the time. And so he had... Uh, Civilization, the board game. He had Hero Quest. He had uh, Axis and Allies. He, you know, all these great classic games. Of you know, now we're into like the maybe early '90s or so, and um, and you know, those were just awesome. And so every weekend, you know, Sayonara, the rest of my friends, I'd go over to Dan's house, and we'd just immerse ourselves in these now much more evolved games compared to Monopoly. And, and just had a blast with those. And so that got me really into it. Though then I have to admit, I took a bit of a pause for a few years. You know, there, it, was, hmm. it was kind of that moment when, when video gaming came in big. And it seemed like for a lot of people, myself included, tabletop gaming kind of, kind of took a step back for a little bit. So we could get Mario out of our system, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think we did effectively. I think everyone has gone through that phase. That's right. That's right. You have to. You have to come Get back Mario to it and realize your system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to let Nintendo rule your life for a year or two, it's and like then a you can come back. Cleanse. It's a Mario cleanse. <laughs> Just Mario all the time, and then then you're exactly. good. Exactly. Exactly. And you got that out of your system. You're good, and then you come back. Nice. And so you know, so I came back into it right at kind of the heyday when Catan was was really just coming into its own. And, um, you know, you had things like Carcassonne and these, these Euro games were really get, starting to get big. And it was like that really opened up the whole new world. You know, I thought Axis and Allies compared to Monopoly was big. But, but then you get these games and they have such deep mechanics. And, you know, the strategies involved are really complex. And that was just a blast. That's amazing. So, so that took me, you know, right up to today as far as game playing. So that's game playing. I, w- I was wondering if you actually started with the game design in Catan. It sounded like like that, but that that's not the case. Is this is game design more of a recent phenomenon in your gaming career? No, I wouldn't say totally recent. It started. So I have I have four children, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and so I was getting into Catan right around when they were starting to to appear in the world, and so as a proud father, of course, my my first goal for my children is they they hit the ripe old age of four or so was to get them to the table and let's let's start them young you know but of course the the options for young children games are severely limited right and 
By similarly limited, I mean they're pretty terrible. <laughs> and so, you know, so we'd whip out, the, you know, and, and of course you have to go Fisher Price because it's, it's like an obligation as a parent to oh, introduce yeah. your children to terrible, terrible board games. You got those big old pieces that you can't swallow. So exactly, perfect for exactly. kids. So we whipped out Candyland, and I don't know if you've had the pleasure, but that yeah. is by far the worst game ever invented. I don't even yeah. know if you could call it a game. I might agree with you there. I played it with my nephew recently, and it was bad times. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you could literally have two machines. Mm-hmm run through the entire game, you know, because there's zero choices involved, yeah. which maybe is why a three-year-old can play it. I don't right. know. I'm not an expert in, in early childhood development. <laughs> but, uh, but that game was just mind-numbing. And my kids enjoyed it. And, and, my, you know, and so I was like, well, let's, come on, Dad, let's go play Candyland. I was like, oh, please, not again. And so, so my first introduction to game design was actually thinking to myself, okay, how can we fix this game? Because this game... I mean, I didn't even understand game mechanics yet, but I understood that this game was broken. Mm-hmm. Seriously, seriously broken. And so I started inventing... So I actually came up with this whole new game called Candy World, which was similar to Candyland, but it actually involved some choices, heaven forbid. And that game was way better, and we played that quite a bit. So I would say that was my first introduction to game design. Candy World. Do you still have yeah. a prototype copy around? <laughs> I'm sure I do. And some I, publishers? I, I, yeah, I got to send it out to uh, Milton Bradley. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'm sure Hasbro would like to take a copy of that and destroy it and make sure it doesn't see the light of day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It'll, it'll thwart their empire. Yeah. So you design for your children. Is that right. still your goal today? No, well, kind of. So now, now let's fast forward a little bit to getting serious into design. And that has not been too long. That's been maybe about a year. Hmm. And, and the genesis for that, actually, it, it was my children and, and where it came from. So now it's been a few years, and my oldest recently turned 15 years old. And so we, we've been playing games and, and happily better games than just Candyland or even Candy World uh, quite a bit. And so, you know, this is something that we enjoy together as a family, and particularly me as, with my older children. They're old enough, we can, we can get just about anything onto the table, and they can, they can hack through it, and we have a good time. And so this was, a, you know, a, a good hobby for all of us. But, but I thought more and more, you know, I really need a hobby that I can enjoy with my oldest child, that we can work on it together and be a project. You know, she's, she's very bright and clever, and I, I just kind of stumble along myself. And so I thought... Boy, we both love games. We, we've kicked around a few ideas. What if we got serious with that and actually tried to design a game together? And that would be a good time we could spend together. We could work on a project, and let's see where it goes. So that's that's ultimately how I got serious about board game design. That's awesome. So I want to talk to you about, I guess, where game design has gotten you today, and we're talking about your game Word Domination, which yes. is killing it on kickstarter right now and well that is that is amazing for a someone who has only been in the designing game for only a year so tell me about this game that is fairly recent but doing real well it is fairly recent um so i started working on word domination right around the beginning of the year and i'll tell you right up front rob the only reason it's doing at all successful 
is because I am a very, very lucky man. <laughs> and uh, if you don't mind, I'll tell you that story real quick. Please do. So here in Utah, we have a fabulous uh, guild called the Board Design Guild. And it's a group of game designers that get together a few times a month, and we try out each other's games and give feedback and suggestions. And it's, it's, a, it's a great community, uh, a great way to enhance your abilities as a game designer. Well, there are a few star members of this guild, uh, one being uh, Ryan Lockett, who has designed Near and Far and Above and oh, Below. Yeah. yeah, he's a big deal. Right, right. Well-known designer, fabulous <laughs> games. Uh, another one is Tim Fowers. And Tim is it, it, probably his uh, best-known game is Paperback. I don't know if you've played Paperback. It's a word game, but it's a word game mixed with deck building so it's a little like dominion and scrabble had a baby right very very clever game very very popular uh it's done well for him well so rewind maybe six months ago or so i i've been working on word domination i should say word domination is also a word game mm-hmm. uh it is it is not a deck builder it is instead a strategy game it's an area control word game is kind of right. the idea so it's a little bit like risk and scrabble had a baby and so so I've been working on this game with a little bit of, of Tim Fowers in the back of my mind. Like, wow, you know, he, he was super successful. I, you know, wouldn't that be cool if I could be successful? And, you know, I, I, I dread the day that he sees this game because he's going to think I stole it from him. But, you know, let, so be it. <laughs> so anyhow, so, uh, so I've been attending these meetings off and on for, for a few months. And uh, Tim's a very busy guy. He had not attended, but I knew he was a member. Well, I show up the first time I'm going to demo word domination to the group, and who is sitting playing his latest prototype amongst members is Tim Fowers. And I thought, oh, no, because I already had signed up. to you know, So everyone knew I was going to bring this new word game, and here's Tim Fowers, and now I have to, you know, he's going to hear about it, and he's going to, you know, pull me aside and punch me in the face or something. I thought, this is, this is terrible. Timing. Right, right. So we, we start the meeting, and they say, okay, Jeff, you brought your game. Why don't you tell us about it? I said, well, this is Word Domination. It's a word game. And Tim's eyes perk up. He says, oh, it's a word game. Well, I know something about word games. And I said, yes, you do. And he says, well, I want to play that game. I said, no, you don't. And he says, yes, I do. And I go, well, okay, what am I going to do? And so, so Tim plays my game. And at the end of it, he says, this was really good. And I said, well, thank you. This is actually the first time I've... And that was actually the first time I ever played it with, you know, not with immediate family and friends kind of thing. Like, wow. you know, I it's, took it to someone I didn't know. It's the debut Exactly. And so, you know, I was extremely nervous, but, but Tim really liked it. He said, I think you have something here. And I said, well, that's very, very kind of you. And he's, he said, I would be interested in, in working with you on it. And I said, that is kind of amazing. And so, um, so from there, Tim and I worked on the game together. He kind of acted as a, as a coach for me and, you know, really helped me polish it to the level that I'm just super excited about. And I think, you know, a level that was ready to bring on a Kickstarter but I would say in addition to helping me with the game, he's helped me promote the Kickstarter page. And so that, you know, when I say I would be nowhere without Tim, that is 100% true because he's brought a lot of his fans and introduced them to my game. And if I didn't have that, I'd probably have three backers. You know, it'd be grandma, <laughs> it'd be mom, and it'd be myself. And that's probably it. But, but thanks to Tim and, and everything he's done for me, uh, you know, I, I'm where I'm at today. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it seems like he's he's been helping out, out a lot with the campaign. You have the same. I'm guessing you're working with the same uh, kind of 
publisher. I guess, I guess not manufacturer. That's that's the word I'm looking for. We're um, actually using a different manufacturer. Oh, you are okay. Yeah, yeah. So we do have. We he did let me uh, lend me his his illustrator. Right. Uh, his name is Ryan Goldsberry. He is a former Disney illustrator, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, so he does amazing work. And you know, both Tim and I thought it'd be super fun if we could have a little bit of crossover in the visual appeal. And in fact, even even introduce the idea that uh, his main protagonist in his game paperback, her name is Paige Turner. She's an mm-hmm. aspiring author, and so we thought, well, boy, wouldn't that be right. fun if if this aspiring author actually kind of made a little little cameo appearance in Word Domination? So if you look really closely, sh- you can find her as well. So that's kind of fun. Oh, so they're they're not exactly sharing the same universe. This isn't Marvel. Uh, the MCU, but it's it's close. You're getting there. Exactly, exactly. There, there's just a hint of a, a shared universe. So. That, is, that is very cool. So how are things going with it so far? I mean, I'm guessing pressing launch was nerve-wracking, especially since this is your first Kickstarter. How was that? You know, it was it was insane. <laughs> just to put a word to it. I didn't really know what to expect, uh, so we hit go Tuesday morning, and we hit go, and then I had to go to work, and uh, I had a few friends at work that were interested in the game as well, but, you know, I just said, I'm going to hit go, and I'm just going to ignore it, and then I'll check it when I'm done with work, because, you know, I don't want to be distracted at work, that's not fair to my employer, but the whole day, my friends kept messaging me, dude, you're already at 20% of your goal, holy crap, you're at 40% of your goal, holy crap, you're at 75% of your goal, and then at lunchtime, I went to a meeting. I came back, and and I had a white I have a whiteboard right next to my desk. And on the whiteboard, it said, "Under four hours." And I was like, "What does that mean?" And then it clicked. <laughs> Holy crap! I've already funded, and it was under four hours. So so I mean that was just incredible. And like I said, I I take zero credit for that. I mean that was all because of, you know, just like I said, just blind luck with with knowing the right people and and having them help me out. But it was it was pretty amazing. Wow, that is that's got to be a rush that is hard to beat. <laughs> no question, no question. So uh, I see you've already hit a couple of stretch goals. I guess that's kind of uh, a word for it. One, two, three, four, five already down. How, yeah. Yep. Yeah. How have you? kind of reacted to these like what what are these stretch goals a part of because this this is one thing that i want to mention about kickstarter and and i have to admit that i've kind of taken a step back um from following kickstarters as closely as i as i used to um Mm. but it seems like most kickstarter uh, or a recent trend was that kickstarter stretch goals were something that could be taken out of the game and then repurposed as a stretch goal uh, was mm-hmm. that ever something that you were worried about people asking about? Like, uh, character abilities, were they ever the main focus of the game? Right, right. No, that's a very good question. I mean, I've talked to many a designer who has found themselves, you know, they've painted themselves in the corner through their stretch goals where they've added too much weight to their game or they they ended up designing a game that wasn't really their their initial intent. And so... You definitely have to be careful about how you handle those. On the other hand, I, you know, I found uh, through this campaign that it's extremely important that you are engaging with the community that you're building around your project. 
Because if, if they don't feel engaged and they don't feel like they're part of this, part of building something together, they're going to lose interest pretty quick and go off and find something new to, to be excited about. And so, so you have to balance the two. And so what's worked for me so far, and, and granted, I'm absolutely no expert. You know, I'm only a week <laughs> into this campaign. So, you know, uh, take it all with a grain of salt. But uh, what I've found is, uh, so before I launched, I came up with a big long list of probably 20 things that I said, okay, if any of these happened, if, you know, if any of these became a, a stretch goal mm-hmm. and, and that stretch goal was achieved, that would be okay. That w- it wouldn't dramatically change the game. It wouldn't dramatically change the manufacturing. You know, if anything, it would add add to the game, and so so I made this big long list, and then very, you know a few days after launching the campaign, I sent out a survey to all my backers, and it was crazy to watch. Uh, you know, I, so I work in in a, a fairly large company, and you know we, we work with tens of thousands of people all, all day long, but I don't know if I've ever been part of something that was that's this real time because even just that survey, I sent it out. And then after hitting send, I pulled up the results, and just in that two seconds, already like 10 people had filled out the survey. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how they did it so quick. But then you could just watch it, and then the number would just tick up in real time. You know, and it was just amazing. Like, I sat there for probably five minutes just watching it. It went from, you know, five up to like 230 in like five minutes' time. And I just watched it happen going, oh, my gosh, you know. <laughs> so it was super cool just to feel that engaged with people. Uh, but but getting their feedback about okay what's important to you, if, you know if we're going to change this game and we're going to make it just a little bit better, what, how do you want to see it improve? And so you know so by taking their feedback that then helped me reorganize those stretch goals and put the things right up top that that they really want. So like you mentioned player powers, mm-hmm. that was the number one thing that people wanted because we have these kind of fun quirky characters mm-hmm. for the game. Uh, they they're kind of James Bond, 1970s-esque villains, uh, you know, kind of fun characters. And so we have these fun characters, but they don't really do anything in the game. You just get to right. be one of them. And so so right off the bat, everyone said, oh, my gosh, we need character powers for all these characters. And, and we kind of knew that going in, that we would probably want to look into that. But but just hearing it loud and clear from the backers, that this is the thing you should focus on. So we move that right to the top. And uh, it, you know, it got knocked off the list pretty pretty early on. So that was good. That's cool. You got your ear to the ground on what these people want because, wow, they are doing doing some stuff for you. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, they have they have lots of clever ideas. Sometimes, you know, some of the things I didn't even think of. Like for example, we've had uh, quite a few international individuals mm-hmm. who are looking for a a foreign language version of the game. Well, that's really hard to do with a word game, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not just translating the oh, rules. De- oh, it's... definitely. you got to work with a Cyrillic alphabet if you're going to <laughs> Russia well, well, or something like that. Right, right. You know, even, even if we just went French, for example, which uses the same 26-letter alphabet, the balancing is all different because, you know, they don't use S's at the same rate that we use S's and, oh, yeah. you know, things like that. And so, you know, and, and, and getting the, the percentage of usage on a letter in a word game is pretty critical. And so, so a lot of people were asking for this, and I was like, oh, I don't know how we're going to do that. That, you know, because we're going to print 12 different copies of the game. That, does, that doesn't economically make any sense. But then one backer pointed out, hey, why don't if you just gave us a handful of blank tiles, and then we can write in whatever letter we want. 
Wow. I thought, that's brilliant. That <laughs> solves my problem because I don't have to print 12 copies. I print one copy. I throw in a few extra blank tiles, and then they can do whatever they want with that. Wow. That's so, very, very clever. Yeah. So, so listening to your backers, because your backers have clever ideas, right? And so mm. it's, just, it's just a process of engaging with them and listening to them, and then you're going to make a better game. And that's, yeah. that's really the cool part about Kickstarter, right? It's not just a way to pre-sell a product. Of course. I, mean, I, I know some, some publishers use it that way, and that's unfortunate for them, but there's so, other, so many other great ways you can use it, like getting great ideas and building something better than just what you could come up with yourself. Yeah, there's a reason. It's, it's crowdfunding. There's a reason you go to Kickstarter is for that interaction with the people who back stuff. So that's, exactly. that's very cool to see that kind of success story. And I, and I also saw that jumping in on the comments um, with the playmat uh-huh. uh, that, that you had where some people wanted a little bit more functionality uh, with, with the mat, and, and that's something that, that you're implementing. And so you listened, and, and so that's super cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm one guy. I, you know, I've got some feedback from Tim or from my family that we're working together on this project. But at the end of the day, we're only a handful of people. But we have a thousand backers. A thousand people are going to have a lot better ideas than just you know five people. And so it's so it, you're absolutely right. It's just a great way to, to handle it. So what what do you do with those ideas that that aren't so great? I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously they aren't all gems. How do you right. how do you respond to some backers who who might say, oh, uh, could you just include like a GPS in each of these? <laughs> like I think that would really make me like want to like go to where the words are, like mix it with Pokemon Go and Scrabble, and then you have a game on your hands. Then you have a good. How do yeah, you handle you know, that kind of stuff? We, we we've gotten a few of those for sure. <laughs> I don't know if we've had quite the GPS. That's a that's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll add that for ver- the next version of the game. Okay, good. Second uh, edition. That's right. No, you know, and I think that's the thing is you, you say, you know, like, for example, frankly, the first time someone mentioned, hey, I'm from, what country were they from? Like some Scandinavian country. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm from Sweden and I would love to play your game, but we need a few extra letters. Can you help me out? And at the you know, first time I heard that, I was like, oh, that's not going to fly. You know, I'm going to have two people from Sweden who want this game. I'm not going to print up a whole new copy just for two people. And so my response to him was, hey, I think that's a good idea. Let me put it out to the community and gauge how much interest there is. Mm. You know, and so, so I think that's... community, not you. That's right. I'll make them the bad guy. <laughs> and, but, you know, that's a, that's a great example of that actually was a good idea, and, we've, and the community found a solution to that problem. So you get enough minds thrown into a problem, and, they, you know, let's, let's throw your GPS idea out. Maybe someone can come up with a solution. <laughs> Who knows? I'll make sure to mention it. <laughs> well, I am very happy for your success on Kickstarter. It sounds like you, you have a... You still have 22 days to go, and you already have $45,000. It's, it's really crazy. crazy. So congratulations. Thank you. I, I really, frankly, I just hope that it all works out still. Yeah. You know, you're never quite sure with the numbers if you, know, if you, if you got it all worked out. And, and shipping's always kind of this little yep. uh, black box that you think you have cracked, but maybe not. And, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the dark secret about game manufacturing that boy they sure don't tell you anywhere is to to print a game is actually pretty cheap Mm -hmm. you know it's like uh depending on the game anywhere between like maybe three dollars for like a card game up to like maybe 
even as low as like $12, and that's for like a $60, you know, big box game. I mean, it's, so it's pretty cheap to manufacture. What's expensive is the shipping. Oh, shipping yeah. is crazy expensive. Like my game, it's going to cost me $15. That's after it's here in the United States, just to get it to people in the United States. $15 a game. Wow. Which is like, you know, that's like twice as much as it actually costs to print the stupid thing. <laughs> So it's it's just uh, you know it, it really is the silent killer of game design and you have to be so careful with that. Yeah, you know? yeah. I've I've seen I've seen people talk about worrying about international rates and and I'm a geography. I graduated with a ge- a degree in geography, and mm-hmm. I just think about the spatial like logistics that it requires for one package to go all the way across the world and I just want to shake them through the internet and say, don't you realize how complicated this is? How amazing mail is and that you are, you are paying to get one piece of mail out of 7 billion people on the earth. You want to get one piece of mail to you across the world safely. And, right. But you don't want it to cost too much. Right. And so well, it is... It is you know, Amazon spoiled shipping yes. for all of us. Oh, now we all goodness. assume that shipping should be free. And it shouldn't be. It should cost fifteen dollars because that's what it costs. <laughs> but too late now. People are disillusioned with the cost of <laughs> shipping for sure. Yep. Well, that is good to hear about word domination, and I'm excited for the future of that game. But we are here to talk about the future of another game. Oh boy! So we are on to the game design challenge. Yes. You know, I've sat in your chair so many times. <laughs> I'm really I'm really worried actually. I'm going to flop. But that's okay. Well, so this is interesting because you and I have a history with game design together um, after going head to head in the head to head to head, I guess, um, right. at the Lucy Awards at yes. um, the Everett Tabletop Expo. Yes. Um and so I'm excited to see what you come up with off the top of your dome because, as I recall, you came out on top in our last exchange. So, <laughs> oh, you're going to get me I this revenge. Else, I want to see what else you have in store for sure. <laughs> okay, I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. So the theme that I have um, okay. is mountain climbing. Mountain climbing. Yes. So this is a sport that I know that I will never partake of myself. <laughs> um, but I know that there are a lot of people around the world that are big fans. And my wife is spending the month in Switzerland, in the Swiss oh. Alps. And so I want to see uh, what you can do with that setting and okay. those mechanisms of okay. trying to climb, let's, let's say, the Matterhorn. Okay, I like it. Uh, now, and, and and real quick before we get into the game, now is your wife uh, is she mountain climbing, climbing in, in no, Switzerland? No, no. no, she's she's leading uh, guides across the Alps, so they're doing hiking, um, okay. but nothing that requires strapping in or holding on for dear life. That's for <laughs> sure. Okay, well, I just I just want to check because after we b- designed this game, you know, I want to make sure we have something that you two could play. And yeah, it, you know, yeah. So. There you go. Okay, well, that's good. Okay, so mountain climbing. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's see, mountain climbing. Of course, the the 
danger of mountain climbing is, of course, that you can fall. And so you're always kind of stretching, not quite sure if you're going to grab that next hold. And sometimes you even have to kind of let go of one hold to grab the other. So, you know, we need to simulate that in a, in a game some way. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking it's, it's got to be something that, that builds up, like you're climbing a mountain. So I'm thinking cards, okay? okay. And so, you know, maybe you have a... You have a deck of cards, and they're numbered sequentially, okay? So maybe you have uh, 1 through 50, okay? okay? One representing the base of the mountain and 50 representing the, the peak. Okay. All right? And so what you're going to do, you're going to draw your deck of cards. And, you know, and, and this is a competitive game, of course, so everyone draws their, their hand of cards. And let's say you have, uh, let's give everyone, you know, maybe seven cards to start with. And so then what you're going to do is you're going to start playing cards and you need to play them sequentially okay okay so you're gonna and, and you have to, and so everyone's gonna start at one because everyone starts at the base and then and you can only so you can go from say you can go up to five for free it's not going to cost anything that just represents maybe a small shift of your hand okay okay but then anything above five is is going to involve a little bit of risk okay okay I and like so that. what the what that means is, uh, so maybe there's some dice involved, okay? And so what you're going to do, so let's say you're up some way up the mountain, so let's say you're at 15, okay? And I want to throw down a 22, which is which is more than 5 from 15. Oh, yeah. And so what I need to do, now it's not much more than 5, so it's, it's probably pretty safe, but let's see what happens, right? So I put down my 22, and then I'm going to roll my dice, okay? Now if I get, that's just 2 away, so if I get a 2 or higher, I'm safe, no problem. All nice. right? However, if I if I botch the the roll, I get a one. Well, I fall. Now, of course, I've I've belayed. I think is the right term. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a mountain climber myself, you, so you've you know, got someone some, listening. You got a safety harness. Yeah, exactly. So you're gonna fall. You're not gonna fall all the way down, but maybe you're going to. Of course, you're not gonna catch a 22. And let's say you even fall past the 15 you're at, but you're gonna go down to whatever you were before. Mm. Okay. So that way, so it's just a race to the top. First person to get up to the 50 or, you know, whatever that number is. Of course, you have to figure out the balance. Um, you know, and so you could go pretty quick. You could throw down, you know, maybe you could jump 10 at a time and you get there in, f- in five steps pretty quick. But that's going to involve a lot of really lucky rolls to do right. that, you know. So, so there you go. That's my, that's my awesome. quick spill for, <laughs> for mountain climbing the board game. Sweet. I'd, I'd back that. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun. Well, good, good. That's that's pretty sweet off the top of your noggin. We just oh, yeah, need, wasn't. We just need to workshop this, pitch it right. to Tim Fowers, and then, then we are <laughs> set. You know, I just need to make some more friends with more super famous game designers. Yeah, there you and go. And my career's in the bag, you know? Yeah, you got to bake some cookies for Ryan Lockett. <laughs> exactly. You call up Alf Siegert and just say, hey. Hey, what's going on? Friday night. I got this mountain climbing game. You want to come check it out? Exactly. There Who you knows? Go. <laughs> I love it. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you asking me to host, and I hope that everything went well with it. What What do you rate me? Do you do ratings I, of the host at the very end? Well, normally we don't because it would always up. be a zero. <laughs> um, but I'd say, Rob, you did fantastic. Yes! Uh, a very good host. Much more entertaining than I have ever been. So, <laughs> you know, anytime you want to come take over the, the podcast, just shoot me a message and it's yours. I'd you, be you happy to. Just, take just it. send me a raven and then I'm good to go. <laughs>
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking over as host this week so that I could tell my quick story, and uh, I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you later, Rob. <laughs> See ya. Bye-bye. Curiously enough, that was me, Jeff Beck, talking about my game, Word Domination, currently on Kickstarter. And a big thanks to Rob Kramer for hosting this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. You can follow us on Twitter at TableFire. And also check out our website for show notes and a link to Word Domination on Kickstarter. That's www.yourtablesonfire.com. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course, Board Game Geek. Go to any of those websites and give us a review. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, until next time, go light it up.